Digital Marketing Radio, episode 214. Why is the world of marketing changing so quickly? DigitalMarketingRadio.com Broadcasting live on the Digital Marketing Radio Facebook page, this is the weekly show that prizes actionable advice from today's top digital marketers. Catch up with all the previous episodes at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain Hello, I'm David Bain, and today I'm joined by a man who teaches advanced digital marketing at the Harvard Division of Continuing Education. He's the co-author of the book, How to Sell Better Than Amazon, and a marketing fellow at HubSpot. Welcome to DMR, Sam Malikarjunan. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for having me. Oh, great. Thanks for coming on, Sam. Well, you, of course, you can find Sam over at uh, malikarjunian.com. I didn't quite get that quite right the second time around, <laughs> but uh, I will include a link to that in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. So, Sam, um, when you say the word, or the world rather, of marketing is changing rapidly, do you mean marketing principles or just tactics and, and technologies? So, um, and first of all, don't feel bad about the name. I'm one of these days. I'm going to change my name to Sam from HubSpot uh, <laughs> legally because more people call me that, anyways. Um, the The world itself is changing, right? Like the number of interconnections between people is increasing, uh, which is changing the way we live. By definition, it's changing the way we work, and that is changing the the world of business and the world of sales and marketing. We don't compete now anymore on this local level where everybody takes the same holidays off and everybody has the same customers. We compete with quite literally everyone, everywhere in the world, every minute of every day. They're all potentially our customers, but they're all potentially our competitors as well. In this, we're also seeing this move into what is a lot more measurable. Consumers are using technology as a huge part of their lives, mobile devices, web devices, et cetera, computers, that are actually, we're actually able to measure marketing and sales uh, for the first time in, in really since the profession started. It uh, used to be that, you know, marketing was sort of the department that sat in the corner playing with crayons, right? You know, build, build, build cool brochures for the sales team, um, place some ads and just use the word like branding a lot mm. um, because nobody knew what that meant. <laughs> and, and now like we're, we're being held accountable because our competitors, it's sort of this, this arms race for who can build like the best, most value-added experience for the prospects and deliver the best buying experience for, for future customers. So it's, it's not just that the world of marketing has changed, the entire world has changed. You could bring somebody from 100 years ago and they would think they were on an alien planet with you know the way that we live and they just wouldn't recognize the culture that we have. And yeah, marketing has definitely changed a lot. So you, you think it's a lot more than just the technology though, you, you think that actually the way we approach it from a mindset perspective has, has completely changed in the last few years as well? The relationship between consumer and brand has absolutely changed. Um, consumers are incredibly demanding now, right? They expect us to be socially responsible. They expect us to answer all their questions, to educate them. Um, it's not it's not easy anymore, right? Like sales and marketing used to be easy. Uh, I started my career in sales and it was it was wonderful because when a prospect came up, I was the gatekeeper of all the information, right? All the product features, pricing, testimonials, everything, they had to go through me. Now, consumers will arrive in the sales process with more information than they could possibly process. I, uh, I almost feel bad if I go to like buy a car or something like that uh, because the, the, the poor person who's there trying to sell me a car 
first of all, I, I wait till the end of the month and I find the person who's standing outside when it's like below freezing. <laughs> That's the person who's missing quota. But when I'm talking to that person, I know all the features. I know everything about the car. I actually know what his company paid to buy that car from the manufacturer. Um, and it's completely changed the expectation of the relationship that we have with the brands and, and with each other too, right? Like the, the definition of friend has changed very, very much, right? It used to be somebody who a small number of people you have a close personal connection with. Um, now I have like 4,200 friends. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I found it quite intriguing the way that you talked about um, yourself having a sales background. And I think that a lot of successful marketers now perhaps have that, you know, maybe from a digital marketing perspective, perhaps 10 years ago, it was a lot more geeky and less likely for people to have a conventional business and, and sales type background. Are you seeing more marketers um, or more successful marketers have that type of background nowadays? I'm seeing them have that type of background, but I'm also, I'm also seeing them, the, the most important thing is that they have the background and the viewpoint of their customers, right? So I am blessed with a relatively easy challenge of being a marketer marketing to marketers about marketing with, because we sell sales and marketing software at HubSpot. And we've done, we've done a bunch of studies on what makes sales reps successful in terms of long-term quota attainment. Um, and it's not closing ability and building rapport and overcoming objections like you would think. It's actually previous domain experience. So if you've been the customer that you're selling to, you can uh, you can sell better. You can understand their problems. You can see the world out there, out their eyes. Uh, and I think if there's any like one thing that's made me good at marketing, it's my thought process of understanding that the sales team is actually my customer, right? Like I, they're consuming all this stuff that I'm, all these leads and stuff that I'm generating for them, um, and they're paying me for it, right? Because they're the ones who are actually bringing in revenue that the revenue that covers my salary. Uh, and so the fact that I have a sales background just makes it easier for me to understand what it's like to call a lead and like how they have how what information they have to have how to like tee up a good consultative sales process a good start to a to an inbound sales process um, so I'm seeing it, I am seeing it more and more and honestly I think if you don't have a sales background and you are in marketing you should call your marketing department and see if they'll let you call some old leads wow, you okay. should you should try and get that experience and get that exposure because it it changes the way that you look at your function within the organization. Or at least stop hiding behind that computer and, and, and talk to customers because uh, I guess a lot of marketers are probably <laughs> guilty of doing that a little bit too much. Totally. I mean, well, think about it. Like if you think of sales as your customer, we would never fathom of running a company where we never talked to our customers, mm. right? Or we didn't ask them, do they like what we're giving them? Uh, but that's how most marketing teams are run, right? Like we generate leads uh, and at best we measure which leads get closed by the sales team. We're not taking subjective feedback. We're not looking into the sales process. We're not identifying blockers so that we can build content for them to move the process faster. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I literally work in the same building usually when I'm not driving around in a van. Um, <laughs> I live in the same building as you know 400 of my best customers, and obviously, like yeah, I should listen to them, talk to them. So you talk about technology marketing evolving at a massive pace. How do businesses and marketers nowadays actually keep up? with um, what they should know about now with, with things evolving so quickly? Yeah. So we have to change from this mindset of the fact that anything is right or the new normal or the best practice. Uh, I think marketers want to know some sort of magic formula for the right way to do things. Uh, and by the time everybody knows and understands the right way to use a channel or to use a tool or something like that, um, it's, it's going to have it's going to have evolved. 
So instead of building even an adaptable organization, you have to build one where change is the normal, where you're in, built into your processes is challenging all of the assumptions that you have in how your marketing works, how your sales teams work, what your customer wants. Um, there are no, there should be no bits of the business model at all that are not changeable or responsive to the demands of the market and the demands of the customer. Um, it used to be, I mean, think about it. We used to name our companies after what we did, mm. right? Like General Electric, Standard Oil, everything else like that. Um, now, if we think of ourselves as stewards of our investors' capital, even that is not good enough, right? Like IBM is move, moves into different things. Apple might be doing a car, right? Like you, you, you have to have that flexibility, and you need that in your marketing just as much as you need it in your business strategy. Um, adopting mentality of constant change, challenging assumptions. I um, when I interview a new marketer, one of my favorite questions is. I talk about we're launching a new website for Brazil, right, um, and for Germany and all these new country-specific pieces of content. And the question is, you know, should we use a subdomain, a subdirectory, or a country code top-level domain, right, like sure. .de or de.hubspot.com? I don't actually care if they know the right answer. I care if they challenge the assumptions that I build into the scenario. So, for example, I'm, I always say, like, well, you know, obviously people will trust it more if it has their country code top-level domain, right? But we might lose some SEO. Mm. What I'm looking for there is not whether or not they know if that's true. What I'm looking for, for is they identify that as an assumption. They challenge that, design a test for that. If you can build your organization in that way, if you've got those people, uh, you won't be caught off guard because you can't wait for the market to tell you what to do. How do you interview for those type of skills? Uh, with, I mean, that's my, my favorite process for that is really, again, it's not what they know. It's not them knowing the right answer. Um, their their depth of knowledge and their skill set is is not the issue. Deloitte has some great research on on the, the decay of knowledge stocks. So if you know something, uh, you used to be able to milk it for like 20 or 25 mm -hmm. years, like just the fact that you know something. Uh, that's declined to about five years now. Whatever, whatever we know right now at best is going to carry us through and being competitive in our markets for about five years. Uh, so I and and information is ever we have more information at our fingertips than at any point in the entire history of the human race. Uh, so uh, that's not the bit that I'm interviewing for. The bit that I'm interviewing for is: Do they recognize and challenge assumptions? Can they design tests and experiments? And can they be adaptive and adaptable? Um, not do they set their mind? Not do they set their mind into a, a way of thinking and execute on that beautifully? But can they continually try to challenge themselves and and challenge me? So you're not necessarily then recruiting for ability or experience. You're almost recruiting for personality and a, and a willingness to learn and, and challenge. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we talk about this in software engineering, right? How much of software engineering is just Googling Stack Overflow for the right answer? <laughs> and, and to an extent, that happens in marketing too, right? Like, mm. what, I, what, I want to, what I want them to be able to do is to look at a funnel, identify a, uh, an area of potential leverage, design experiments, uh, to deal with it, and they can Google around for inspiration. Hop over to inbound.org, ask the community there. Uh, you know, go to any one of the really interesting blogs, see experiments that they've run, um, or you know, just fire a pot jar and watch people use the software and see where they're where they're breaking stuff, where they're falling off the process. I don't care if you know the right way to do things. I definitely don't care if you know the right way to do things from ten years ago. Um, I only care a little bit if you know the right way to do things now, because that's going to give me maybe five years of you being a valuable employee. Um, what I really care about is, do you have the ability to figure out the new right thing? 
And when you're talking about the right things to do now, are you talking about someone who is it be- is it better to be a generalist in terms of marketing or a core specialist and be excellent at one individual thing? Ah, uh, you're really hitting the softball questions here, aren't you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it it really does depend on your temperament. Um, I like I like a broad skill set of experience. Um, I like people who have done sales, a little bit of sales. Maybe they've also been in customer success and customer services. I like them to have like a little bit of a tech background. Um, I re- I really do like the traditional Renaissance man um, bit. At the same time, you need the like Matt Barbie at our company is just like the smartest guy about C- uh, SEO and, and growth um, that I know. Like you need those deep specialists because they understand the technology and they understand what is possible with that. Um, so I feel like there's still both opportunities in your career um, at HubSpot. We've really we've really tried to make the individual contributor path hmm. um, a first class citizen um, in terms of like compensation and promotion and influence in the company, um, along with management. Because I, generalists might even make better uh, managers and, and marketing leaders long term. Um, but if somebody wants to just be the world's best at finding out what's broken in an email process or an email nurturing process and fixing that continuously um that's awesome you should be able to do that and you should be able to have like a good long career doing that i knew you'd be able to come up with an excellent answer for that kind of question <laughs> and I, I like that answer as well because it probably depends on your personality you know if your personality is naturally interested by lots of different things then yeah possibly you should be a generalist maybe you're more of a people person and will perhaps gravitate gravitate towards management and yeah uh, perhaps you're going to be more of a generalist but perhaps coders or technical seos are 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 more likely to be specialists at individual things and if if that's your great passion or ability then get as good as you can at that and i I guess you're more likely to be a a specialist then we've got to change what we think in terms of like what what like being successful means um and i don't mean this on like a philosophical level like you know you and i can have some beer later to talk about that um but you know to this day my family still calls me and asks like how many people report to you now right like every time i would get a promotion right that would be the question how many people report to you as if that was like the barometer of how successful you are as a professional it was clearly not true right particularly in this day and age where an individual employee can have a ludicrous amount of leverage inside of a business like if you're excellent an excellent software engineer um I mean, there, there, I say this with absolutely no shame. There are software engineers who have worked for me and made more than twice as much money as I do, um, which is totally fine, right? Because yeah. they create what they do is creating an incredible amount of leverage for hundreds of millions of people um, who use the, the, you know, our our customers' websites. So, yeah, I mean, I I think you've, you've got to you've got to rethink and and. <laughs> who's the, like they are definitely not less successful than I am. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that they they have a very long career ahead of them. They're, they can be very proud. One thing that you were saying a couple of moments ago was that it was very difficult to find a business model that you could be successful with for a long period of time. But um, what if um, someone's watching, someone's listening from a business that is exceptionally successful in their sector at the moment? How do you try and maintain that as a business uh, without other businesses coming in and trying to disrupt your whole industry? Yeah, be very suspicious of success. This is a uh, this is a bad time in history to be a big, slow, successful company because all of the forces of rapid change are at work, but we don't have nearly enough understanding um, in terms of what's driving it and how to see it coming, etc. So if 
rule number one, if you're if you feel like things are going really, really well, uh, be suspicious. Um, in general, I like to think in terms of you've, your listeners may have seen the bell curve of Rogers market segments, yeah. right? Where you start off with your on the far left, you've got your early adopters, and on the far right, you've got your laggards. Um, chop that bell curve in half and completely ignore the right. We no longer live in a world of bell curves. We live in a world of S curves. Okay. So when you start reaching this market saturation point and you're, um, you know, getting to that point, you need to start thinking in terms of how you can self disrupt. Um, you know, I, I think about companies like Uber, right? It's not that the taxi companies didn't have enough money to make an offer to Travis and those folks in the early days. It's that by the time they realized that they should make a move to acquire Uber, Uber was already bigger than they were almost in their <laughs> in the entirety of the uh, the taxi cab uh, mar- uh, industry's market capitalization. Um, you have to like so HubSpot Labs, for example, what our what their job is there is bef- before some like random kid at MIT figures out how to beat HubSpot, our labs team should figure it out. Yeah. Right. So that's where we launched um, a free version of our software uh, last year. Uh, and that was pretty controversial, right? Because there's probably going to be some low end customers who were paying, who are going to churn down into the free plan, et cetera. Um, you know, we might lose some deals to that in the early days, but the simple fact is like, a free suite of sales tools and marketing tools integrated together is a good idea. And if we didn't build it, somebody else is going to build it. So, you know, you've got the, the minute you're at the top of your industry, the clock starts ticking on how long you can hold that position. Somebody's going to knock you off. What you want is for it to be you that knocks you off, right? <laughs> you want to be, be the industry's Uber. You can't, you can't buy your industry's Uber. That's a great point. And that's obviously why Google bought Android back in 2005. They, they saw oh, mobile coming and they, they knew that they needed to do something radical to actually control that. It's, it's the reason yeah. why Facebook have, have bought Oculus Rift, because they see AI coming and they know that you know things are going to change radically from mobile devices to, to virtual reality, really. And um, it's just incredible what's happening. But that someone else is going to come along and, and do something entirely different, I'm sure, and disrupt things yeah. that we don't even know about. Yeah, and, and that's usually like the answer, right? Is you just use, if you've got a superior capital position, you just buy the people who are disrupting your industry. Yeah. Um, but you usually wait until you're like, you're pretty sure that it's a good buy. You wait until they have good economics and they're sustainable and like they've got good cash flow per share and everything else like that, whatever. Um, and you would think that, you know, there must be some cash shortage in the world uh, that's, dry, that's preventing these big businesses from being adaptable. Um, and nothing could be further from the truth. We're sitting on more just free cash in American companies now than at any point in human history, over $2 trillion we're just sitting on mm. that companies aren't using. And so it's not that Apple they have. can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, It's not that we're not using that cash or it's, it's not that we don't have the cash to like make those acquisitions. But if you notice each one of those acquisitions was that company buying it way before it was a big thing. Mm. Right, like way before it had big market adoption and was a healthy business, or you know, YouTube's another great example, right? Like Google saw YouTube coming, everybody questioned the you know billion dollar uh, price tag on that. Um, that's a pretty that's a pretty big bet, a um, billion dollars even for even for Google back then. Um, but you have if they had waited until YouTube was its own big successful company, they may not have been able to acquire them at all, right? Remember the five hundred million dollars they offered Facebook, right? Like they should have offered yes. Facebook probably like five billion dollars yes. yeah. <laughs> they, they would have been much better off so absolutely 
Well, in a moment we're going to be moving to the second part of our conversation where I'll be asking Sam about the software that he couldn't live without. But first of all, dear viewer, dear, dear listener, have you purchased my copy of Digital Marketing in 2017, the book, yet? 107 digital marketers in one book all sharing their number one actionable tip for the year and written by me. So check out the reviews and grab your copy over at digitalmarketingin2017.com. But let us segue over to the second part of our discussion today. So that focuses on Sam's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So Sam, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you... Uh, I was just thinking off the top of my head here, try not to use HubSpot as an example. <laughs> I was about to say, I, I, I'm not going to use HubSpot as an example. That's that's a little too easy, too on the nose. So, I mean, so it's true. We, we, do, we are built on that, but I, I have a better answer. Oh, good. So something to take away from you, um, uh, it would significantly impact your marketing success. So for me, it would, it would honestly be Slack. Um, I think Slack is built around the real way that, that good, flexible, adaptable companies work now, where it's not these like, you know, C's who then have VPs, who then have divisions, who then have teams, and you only work with your team. You can create a Slack room with five or six different people from all around the company to work on a discrete and specific project. Um, and it's really, it's it's broken apart the, the corporate organization and made it so that we're like, we're more customer value focused, we're more project focused. Uh, and if you took that away from me and made it so that I had to like, you know, send like a requisition through a division or something to get any work done, we would come to a screeching halt immediately. I was Slack. That's uh, a wonderful platform and I, I, I love using it as well. Uh, I was actually introduced today to Workplace by Facebook. I, I hadn't have heard heard of that before. And I know, I know that a few businesses are moving to that as an internal communications mechanism. Uh, have you happened to um, heard of that one? I've heard of it. I haven't played with it yet. Um, I, I'm interested to see Facebook... I'm getting I'm getting worried, man. I'm getting worried at this like blurring line between uh, between work and play. Like they they there's a ton of information they have mm. that could also make it really interesting. They've got arguably the world's most advanced artificial intelligence uh, team at Fair, the Facebook yeah. Artificial Intelligence Research. Um, you know they've got all this stuff that they could do to you know make you more productive. They know a terrifying amount of information about each of us, mm. uh, and. You know, we've always we've always built our our lives around you have work and then you have your personal life. Um, and not that I'm like worried they're going to take my Facebook posts and, like, and send them to the CEO or anything. Um, but I'm frankly I'm a different person at each of those at each of those uh, in, in each of those uh, environments. So uh, I think it's going to be awesome. I think you know I have yet to see Facebook do a ton of stuff that's not super interesting, um, and I'm sure they're, that they're going to figure it out. Uh, but they're definitely seeing that as a, an interesting space, right? Yeah. Anytime, anytime something worth trillions of dollars is fundamentally broken, that's really interesting to work on, right? And just the way that we operate businesses is fundamentally broken. Uh, there's a couple of people doing cool stuff there. Yeah, I mean, I obviously saw Microsoft buying LinkedIn over a year ago now and thinking that um, oh, a lot of cool things were going to happen with that, but I haven't seen too much happen. And I, I hope that um, some nice things happen with LinkedIn. I think one thing that I was hoping was going to happen with LinkedIn was the ability for users to broadcast live video and, and not just these so-called stars, but, but anyone at all. And I, that, that, That's not available yet. I'm a bit disappointed that it hasn't evolved as quickly as I hoped. Yeah, so Microsoft is extraordinarily diverse in terms of their revenue. Um, they are, however, still a little bit slow off the bat in terms of new technologies. Uh, and, 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 you know, frankly, so is LinkedIn, right? Like mm -hmm. LinkedIn is a really interesting... Um, social network um, with 
a very, you know, with not the world's most robust, like, new product development team. Uh, they're very smart people. I like them very much. Uh, but, like, rolling out a bunch of new and, like, products pushing the, ed- the limits of things uh, isn't something that they've done. So um, you've combined those two companies. Uh, I don't know. I'm curious. I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if it's in their DNA mm. uh, to start doing weird stuff like that. Because you're right. If, if Google had bought LinkedIn, that would already, they would already have that. Right? Exactly, yeah. I don't know. We'll stick with uh, software just for one more question, and that is what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Sna- uh, Snapchat is probably uh, okay. an, an interesting one. Um, I, I'm i not that old, and yet somehow I still feel old because of how quickly everything is changing. I, do, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm, I'm really trying. You know, our, our CMO, it's very important to live your customer's life. We talked about that mm. earlier, right, to look out from their eyes. Uh, and so I got myself an Amazon Echo so I can voice control things. Uh, and I got myself some Snapchat goggles uh, so that I can, like, just capture moments throughout the day. Sure. Um, and I just don't my, – my brain doesn't click to be like, oh, I should capture and share this moment with people. I would argue it's because I'm enjoying the moment, but whatever. Uh so that's, uh, you know, there's tons of brands being super, super successful there. And I also think that it's just like, as you said, indicative of this shift towards essentially co-living lives or like mm-hmm. co-sharing experiences in real time, right? Like not me writing up a post and making a scrapbook about the, the day that I had, um, but, you know, the live video thing where we're, we're really sh- like in real time sharing our lives uh, and work with other people. Um, so I haven't used that yet, but I, I will. I will at some point. I will, I will get into Snapchat. I'm making that commitment. <laughs> it's, it sounds like it's a bit of a kind of grudge to get into it. And I, I, I know exactly how you're feeling because I've registered a, a couple of handles on there, if that's what you call it, on there. And um, <laughs> I, I, don't know. I, I have, haven't really done much with it at all. And I don't at this moment have much of an intention to do so. But I have heard of a few bloggers who have been on Snapchat quite a bit, actually moving away from it and moving to Instagram stories. It's not necessarily representative of everyone but are you on instagram at all yourself uh i do use instagram um i use instagram uh mostly to post pictures of our travels and stuff like that um and also just because frankly instagram has a very easy way to post to multiple platforms Mm. Uh, so it hits facebook and twitter and everything else all at once uh and that just makes it that just makes it easy to use but yeah i i that's interesting. I do like Instagram more than more than Snapchat. I don't, I don't know why. Well, we talked about quite a few different bits of software there, but I'll make sure they're all included in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. But let's move on to... I wish I would have. So um, I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? You know, the th- the what I wish I would have done differently, and what I'm thinking about here is, uh, is a health insurance company that I worked at. What I, what I wish I would have done differently is, is focus more on the customer. I, I love Clay Christensen at Harvard and his his framework around the jobs to be done, right? So Henry Ford having the most famous quote on this, if he had asked his customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Sure. And I, and I think that when I first got into marketing, it was me, 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 me being the brand, me being the company, and me being the marketer. Uh, and, all, and all we did was talk about ourselves. We were annoying as hell, man. Mm. Like, and, we, and, you know, spam, spamming worked, right? Like, whether it was direct mail spamming or, or email spamming, uh, it, it worked. And, um, and we really missed the boat on, um, on eHealthInsurance.com, which eventually became eSurance, which was eventually acquired by Allstate, um, on, on their just, like, really beautiful job of building a software and a marketing experience 
that was built around like why are people buying insurance, right? Like what's the questions? What's the fear? Yeah. Uh, what's the the financial purpose? What's the emotional purpose behind that? And they, they just they did it beautifully and they made hundreds of millions of dollars and I did not. The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Just two rows here. Try not to think about the answer too much. And you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion, so use it wisely. <laughs> so you ready okay. to go? Sure, let's do it. Twitter or Snapchat? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or Facebook Live? YouTube. Mobile or desktop? Mobile. Website or app? Website. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Outreach or advertise? Outreach. Email to one or email to many? Email to many. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Global marketing. Yay! You got that. Um, no problem at all. No boaths. I think it was... I didn't uh, use both, did I? You didn't. Oh. You didn't. Uh, I think it was website or app that you struggled most with you you said yeah, website but as, as if you didn't like it at all it depends most of the things that an app does i can do with website tech like use the the devices uh you know resources and stuff like that but an app is faster it's a cleaner experience and it allows you to own the experience more so it depends on what you're trying to do and I, you didn't give me it depends as an option so mm. i went with <laughs> i went with website would it, it depends also mean that websites are on the way out and we're moving towards primarily apps uh i i don't think so because mo most apps many apps these days are glorified websites they use the exact same technology stack um they use a lot of the same um code uh, and they're just like running natively on the phone and they just have permissions to pre-download a bunch of information, do push notifications and some other things like that. Um, so I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think the website's going to die anytime soon. I don't think everybody needs an app, right? I don't think everybody's business, is, the value that they drive for consumers is one where having an app installed on a phone um, is really going to be the, the, the most valuable thing they can do. What do you think of AMP? Uh, I mean, I, I like it. It's a good standardized protocol to help uh, sort of blur that line even further, right? Like, yeah. how, how do we make the website experience seem seamless with the app-based experience? Um, you know, here's the thing. Consumers couldn't care less what technology we use, what stack we use, everything else like that. Uh, what they care is, are they getting the value that they want as quickly and efficiently as possible? Um, and is the experience good for them? Um, so, you know, any technology that solves for that for your specific type of customer, uh, is going to be the, the one that you, that you should focus on. The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? That's an interesting question. So $10,000 over a few days. My natural answer is probably going to be PPC. Um, just because like it's hard to spend ten thousand dollars on content that quickly. And do you mean AdWords or Facebook or something different? Uh, you know what? I love Facebook ads. Um, I do. Every a lot of people they get a lot of crap, but it's because people don't know how to use them well, right? They think that they're the same as search ads. They try and copy and paste the same things that worked at Google AdWords over to Facebook, and it's different, right? You're not targeting me based on what I'm searching for. You're just targeting me based on who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and between custom audiences and lookalike audiences, so. Yeah, if you just gave me $10,000 and let's say I was in charge of the 
of generating leads for HubSpot, uh, pop it into Facebook, uh, with a, with a custom audience of my best leads, so mm-hmm. leads that have been most likely to close, um, have it spin up a lookalike audience for those, uh, and then uh, go to town. And would going to town involve advertising using a video and then further targeting that list or having a direct call to action immediately? Well, so here's the thing, right? The, the inbound marketing and sales process blurs together the research process. So my goal is just to tee off a good conversation with a sales rep. And it should not be about the HubSpot software, especially on Facebook. Um, I want to figure out what their problems are and have a piece of content that helps them solve that problem so that it's not – like if I called you and said, like, hi, David, this is Sam from HubSpot. Give me 10 minutes of your time. I want to tell you about how our software can help you grow. You don't care about that. Yeah. Come on, like you don't want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. But if I call you and say, like, "Hey, like I saw, I saw you downloaded the guide to using Pinterest for business or Snapchat for business." Let's use that, right? Like, um, you know, what are you trying to do? Why Snapchat? Why now? Um, there are some other people in your industry doing some interesting things, but let's talk about what your goals are. Uh, it's just a fundamentally different way to start a sales process. Uh, it's fundamentally better, uh, and that's what I'm trying to do uh, there. So it's usually like a ebooks, offers, and everything else work great. Um, it can be a chat bot. It can be whatever is best for that particular cohort. But my goal is always start a good uh, education, problem-oriented conversation between two people. If I can do that, I'm winning. My number one takeaway. Well, Sam, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listener just can take away and implement in their business? The, the single most important step is that uh, is comfort kills. Right. Uh, you need to focus on disrupting yourself. Be the disruption you want to see in the world. Right. You need to focus on how, if you were going to beat your company, how would you do it? If you were going to deliver more value for your customers, how would you do it? Uh, and it's a hard, emotional, business strategic decision to say that I am going to like kill my own model or test test against my own model. And it requires, frankly, it requires courage. Uh, and you, but you've got to you've got to, to do that. Or you, 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 even though you've survived 100 years, you may not survive the next 10 if you don't uh, don't stay focused on that. Great advice. Well, um, thanks to Sam and thank you to our listener too. If you have an opinion of what Sam shared today, tell us what you think. So the Facebook page is, of course, facebook.com slash digitalmarketingradio. You can tweet me, at David Bain. Plus, remember to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. So you can do that, digitalmarketingradio.com slash iTunes for iPhones or digitalmarketradio.com slash android for Android devices. But until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios. Thanks again, Sam. Great episode. Awesome. Cool.